If you don't already have your place there where Aaron was reading, do, do turn to Psalm 40, please. Psalm 40. Basically the about the middle of the Bible. So today we want to continue our, our Hebrew series. We're kind of doing two weeks, this being the second week. Last week we looked at an Old Testament text in our for our Hebrew series. We're going to do the same thing today. So, continuing our Hebrew series, text is Psalm 40, title is Jesus Christ, His Death as a Sacrifice, okay? Jesus Christ, His Death as Sacrifice. So let's pray again together. Hopefully you've got your Bibles open to Psalm 40. And if, if by chance you don't have a Bible, hey, let us know. We'll, uh, if you don't, certainly if you don't own one at all, we want to put one in your hands. Um, but if you don't have one right now, just listen carefully um, to what I say, and I'm going to try to say what the, what the Word says. That's what's most important. Let's pray. Would you pray with me again? Lord, we, through you, because you made us, we have uh, ears. We also pray that maybe on a slightly deeper level that you would dig out ears for us this morning. Help us, Lord Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, to be ready to do the will of God, to be ready to sacrifice, to be ready to be obedient, but primarily help us, Lord. Please help us to to believe the gospel and grant to us, give to us faith. And Lord, again, give us ears. We we say we we have ears. We've got a mouth and eyes and ears, but Lord, give us ears to hear. So that we would offer our whole selves to you, even this morning. Lord, help us in fear and trembling. Do the work that you alone must do through your perfect word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, it's the Hebrew series, Psalm 40, Jesus Christ, his death as sacrifice. Uh, The New Testament says this. Listen very carefully. Sacrifices and offerings... You have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. That's uh, from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 7. What does God require? How would you answer that question this morning? In your mind, what does God require? How would you answer the question, what does the Lord God require of you? The Bible says to do righteousness and justice 
is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. That's Proverbs 21.3. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. What does the Lord God require of you? The Bible says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? Not talking about Tar Heels. With ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, for the, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. Have you ever heard this verse? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? That's Micah 6, 6 through 8. Micah 6, 6 through 8. What does the Lord require of you? Well, what I want to do this morning is I want to start in Psalm 40. I want to look at Psalm 40, and then I am going to ask you after that to turn to Hebrews 10. Only after we look at Psalm 40. That's the very simple idea of where we're going this morning. Psalm 40, and then Hebrews 10. First of all, Psalm 40. Point number one. What does God require of us? He requires more than sacrifices. Something else. Something different. Something besides sacrifices. That's number one this morning. He requires more than sacrifices. Look again at Psalm 40, beginning in verse 6. Look at this with me. Psalm 40, 6 through 8. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. You have a footnote there in your Bible, like I do, when he says you've given me an open ear. Uh, literally, it's ears you have dug for me. Well, anyway, he says there in verse 6, burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, and this is a psalm of David, then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book, it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. Uh, dear friend, you need to think about this question this morning. Every one of you, what does the Lord require of you? You need to think about that. And the first point that I'm saying here as we look at Psalm 40 is that he requires something more than sacrifices, something else, something different, something besides sacrifices. We see it clearly enough there in verses 6 through 8. I don't know if you've ever uh, fallen into a pit. Anybody? The, uh, the headline reads like this. New York nightmare. Man falls through sidewalk into rat-filled chasm. Apparently, as I guess many people know, New York City has a terrible rat problem. This is a true headline from three years ago. Let me read you a snippet of it. On Saturday, October 29th, 2020, just past noon, Leonard Shoulders strolled up to a bus stop in the Belmont neighborhood of the Bronx. A handful of people stood around. 
still remember driving through the Bronx last year on the day when Roe v. Wade was overturned. That was awesome. As we were going up to Maine. A handful of people stood around as Leonard Shoulders is going to the bus stop in the Bronx. Waiting for their rides or looking down at their phones. It was an altogether unremarkable scene. But then a hole suddenly opened up on the sidewalk and Mr. Shoulders, age 33, plunged into it. Stunned bystanders who rushed to the edge of the chasm faced a ghastly sight. Mr. Shoulders had dropped 12 to 15 feet into an underground vault teeming with rats. Rats crawling on him. He can't move, his brother Greg White told CBS. He didn't want to yell. He did not want to yell because he was afraid there were going to be rats inside his mouth. For about 30 minutes, he remained in the vault as firefighters tried to pull him out of the hole. Videos of the scene show him eventually being wheeled away on a stretcher by emergency workers. He suffered injuries to his head and arm, Mr. White said. That's from the NewYorkTimes.com. That's pretty rough. Or you can read in the Bible, and I don't know if you know this, in Jeremiah chapter 38, I don't know if you're familiar with this story, in Jeremiah chapter 38, when Jeremiah... Uh, literally was in a pit, and if there had been water, then he would have died, but it was, it was extremely muddy, and you read about it there in Jeremiah chapter 38, you can read about it later in verses 1 through 13, and finally this man came to his aid, and this man appealed to the king, and it's very interesting, the Bible gives so many details, they had these rags, and he said, Jeremiah, put these rags between your armpits and the rope, and we're going to pull you up out of the pit. In Psalm 40, in Psalm 40, David, or is it David? Yeah, it's David. He says in verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord. Dear believer, brother and sister, this is of the essence of the Christian life. To wait patiently for the Lord. We are so antsy. We are so impatient. But he instructs us in just line 1A. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. Now why were we talking about the Bronx and all that and Jeremiah? He drew me up from the pit, Psalm 40 verse 2, of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. David says, who speaks this psalm? Is it David? Somebody else? David said in there in verse 2, he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. I, uh, remember vividly years ago coaching my son's basketball team, uh, thinking it would be cool to practice with the team, and finding myself about to collide with a boy about this tall and putting on the brakes in a way that you just can't do, or at least you can't do if you're 35 or whatever I was, and just having a severe twist of the ankle. And my feet were not upon a rock for some weeks and then even for some months until my posture until my steps were secure. What is David saying here? He's saying, I was in a pit. 
He's saying in verses 1 through 10, listen to me, look at the text. He's saying, I want to recount for you, I want to recount for you the people of God when I was in need of deliverance and the Lord rescued me. The Lord delivered you. Let me give my testimony. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me. He heard my cry. Here's the situation I was in. Oh, by the way, I'm not going to give you specifics. And that's good news for us today. You see what I mean in verse 2? He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. Sometimes the Psalms give us those historical specifics. Here, as in many times, David does not get specific. And I say that's good news for us as Christian believers, as followers of Jesus, as we read this Psalm today and other Psalms, the generalness, the lack of specificity means that God invites you, my dear fellow believer, listen to me, God invites you, whatever your pit may be. I don't think this is the main point. I don't think it's the main point of the Psalm, but it is, I would say, a gracious invitation that he doesn't say, well, this was my pit, or, 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 or this was my pit. It's general, and so we can read this and profit from it, whatever your pit may be. Now, was this pit that David was in, in the past, let me ask you, what do you think? Was it a literal pit? And was it a physical pit? Jeremiah 38, Jeremiah is put into a cistern. He's put into a well. This guy in the Bronx, that's crazy, 12 to 15 feet in, down in a vault with rats, and he didn't even want to yell for help so that a rat wouldn't come down in his mouth. Jeremiah 38 and the guy in the Bronx, Mr. Shoulders, those are literal, physical pits. What about this? Well, maybe I tend to agree with others who say it's, it's probably a metaphor, right? It's probably a metaphor. could be circumstances, it could be sin, whatever it is, he said, he drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock. In verses 1 through 10, he's giving praise for past deliverance, but then it begins to change in verse 11. In verses 1 through 10, he gives praise for past deliverance. But then starting in verse 11, he pleads with the Lord. He pleads with the Lord because something new. Thank God for the Bible. Because God knows us and His Word is perfect. It is a mirror to the soul. And the Psalms are uniquely profitable for the believer. The Psalms are uniquely wonderful. And so it's like half of the Psalm, he's praising the Lord in his testimony for this deliverance. And he gives this beatitude in verse 4. Blessed is the man who trusts in the who's who makes the Lord his trust. Friend, that's true for you today. That's true for you. Psalm 40, verse 4. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Why are you going around people pleasing? Why? Make the Lord your trust. But then to get back to what I was saying in verses 11 through 17, something new has popped up. 
Friend, being a Christian doesn't mean your troubles are gone. In many ways, your troubles have just started. And something new has popped up. Verse 11, As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. Dear friend, you need to know this morning that you are a sinner. That's good news. Your sins don't disqualify you from Jesus Christ. In one sense, they qualify you. Because Jesus came to save sinners. He says in Psalm 40 verse 12, My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. God made us with emotions. Psalm 40, verse 14, Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! But... May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy. But the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. It's so interesting. Verses 11 through 17, something's popped up. He's crying out to the Lord. This is a psalm of a poor man pleading with God. And he started in verses 1 through 10 on a high note of giving testimony of past deliverance. Dear believer, make this psalm your own. Through Jesus Christ, make it your own. I don't want to get into the weeds too much, but in the past 200 years, with something called philosophically that we call the Enlightenment, we do a good thing when we come to the Bible. We do a good thing and we say we need to see what does, the, what does the human author, because there's 66 books of the Bible, 39 in the old, 27 in the new, and we need, to, we need to ask the question, what does the human author, what does he mean? And that's a great thing. We need to understand what did, what did Jeremiah mean? What did David mean here? But there's something else, dear friends. There's a divine author of the Bible. There's not only a human author, Matthew and John and Moses, but there's also a divine author. So something for 2,000 years, for 2,000 years, Christians have been looking at these 150 psalms, basically in the middle of your Bible, and they've been seeing them as the songs, listen to me, or the prayers of Jesus. And so what we do here at Crossway is we love the Old Testament because God is the same. And what we want to do, again, I don't want to get into the weeds too much, but just just listen. What we want to do with the Old Testament is we don't want to preach the Old Testament in a way that would pass muster in a Jewish synagogue. Which is to say, we don't want to preach the Old Testament in a way that if I taught that same sermon, a Jewish synagogue would receive it and say, yeah, that's, that's right, that's good. Why? Because Jesus has come. Because the Son of God has come. Now listen. Let me just, I need to say this. I'm not interested in in just seeing Jesus everywhere in the Old Testament. 
but we don't read the Old Testament as Christians as though Jesus never died and rose again. Jesus has died on the cross. Jesus did rise from the dead. And so we love the Old Testament. We preach the Old Testament as though it is fulfilled in Jesus Christ because it is. And these are the songs of Jesus. And so not everybody agrees about this. I don't even claim to be speaking for all of the elders here. I don't know. Not everybody agrees, but I would say, I would say that not only, not only are the three verses in Psalm 40, there's 17 verses, three of them are clearly picked up in the New Testament. Three of them are clearly picked up in the New Testament. I would say this whole psalm can appropriately be put on the lips of Jesus. So what do we do? So go home today. Go home today and read this psalm. I read this and I thought this was really helpful. Read Psalm 40 and make it your own as a believer. Are you a believer here this morning? We're glad you're here. If you're not, if you're not a believer, you need to bow the knee, repent of your sins, and confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But you can go home and you can read Psalm 40 and make it your own as a believer. And then secondly, secondly, you can read it as though, and I would say, because this is true, because this was the very prayer and song of Jesus. And there's too much to get into. You say, well, well, isn't there a verse in this psalm that talks about my iniquities? Well, I'm aware of that. I'm aware of that. One option is that that can be translated differently. But if you don't want to go that option, it's the exception that proves the rule. Well, you don't have to be baptized. The thief on the cross wasn't baptized. It's the exception that proves the rule. You can look not only, listen to me, you can look not only at verses 6 through 8 as being on the lips of Jesus, because if you disagree with that, then you're in trouble, because the New Testament says, verses 6 through 8, were said by Jesus. And I'm saying this whole psalm, this whole psalm, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Please make very care- take very careful notice of verses 6 through 8. Mark this in your mind carefully. Look at it. Look at every single word. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Fifteen seconds of silence. Just look at verses 6 through 8 again. Look at that. Turn to Hebrews 10. 
And you don't have to keep your place at Psalm. Just turn to Hebrews 10. What does God require of you? My dear friend, you're going to stand before God one day, and sooner than later. Let us stop playing games. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, Micah 6.8, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And even in this, even in this, we all fail. We all fail. Point number one in the sermon this morning, there's, there's two, and we're done with number one. What does God require of us? He requires more than sacrifices. Something else. Something different. Point number two, Hebrews 10. Point number two, He requires sacrifice. He requires obedience. Who wrote Psalm 40? Are you with me this morning? Look at who wrote Psalm 40. Well, David. What did David say in Psalm 40, verse 6? He said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings, sin offerings. He said, you don't take pleasure in these. You don't delight in these. David would have been wrong to stop literally sacrificing. Because what does God require in, in the Old Testament? God requires and he commanded animal sacrifices. God did. God requires animal sacrifices. So even though David said very clearly, you don't delight in these, he still offered animal sacrifices. God requires sacrifice. Look at verse 1 of Hebrews 10. For the law, since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers? Hebrews 10.2 Hebrews 10.2 Having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Repeat. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, notice this, when Christ came into the world, He said, and then He quotes Psalm 40, 6-8. through eight. Go down to verse 11. Every word is important. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until His enemies should be made a footstool for His feet. He is not a weak Savior. Verse 14, For by a single offering He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit, Hebrews 10.15, the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, Jeremiah 31, 
This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Do you see verse 18? It must be taken in tandem with verse 17. Look at it again. He's quoting from Jeremiah 31, by the way. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Do you know the name of the lady who was the organizer of the American Red Cross? Her name was Clara Barton. And she was never known to harbor resentment to anyone. On one occasion, a friend recalled for her an incident that had taken place some years before, but Clara seemed not to remember. Don't you remember the wrong that was done to you? I remember. It's not hard, is it? Don't you remember, Clara, the wrong that was done to you? Clara answered calmly, No, I distinctly remember forgetting that. Clara Barton willed, she willed to forgive and forget. Stay with me on this one. She willed to forgive and forget. Hughes, Kent Hughes goes on to say this. But God does even better. He really does forgive and forget. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. The Christian gospel, friends, if we understand it, the Christian gospel is such incredibly good news that we as believers have a hard time believing it, if we're honest. Hebrews 10 is like Romans chapter 3 in which it sets forth the gospel so clearly. And as I said in the title of this message, Jesus Christ, His death as sacrifices. Let me put the pieces together just to make sure that we're trying to be clear. Why look at Psalm 40? Hopefully you've seen this. We quoted Hebrews 10 at the very beginning. And we're about to look at this. We're finished with the, we're finished with the two points, okay? Point number one, God requires more than sacrifices. Point number two, He requires sacrifice. He requires sacrifice. Psalm 40, Hebrews 10. Now, let's look at Psalm 40 in Hebrews 10. Finally, finally, Psalm 40 in Hebrews 10. Look again at verse 5. Look at it. Look at the indented portion. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. Psalm 40, 6 through 8. But a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Hebrews 10, 5 through 7. Jesus said there, let me just summarize it. Jesus said that the offering of his own body would be the supreme and better sacrifice. Did you get that? Something wonderfully and altogether different from all of the other sacrifices of old. He said that he had come to do God, his Father's will. In verses 5b 
Hebrews 10, 5b through verse 7. I'm going to say it again. Jesus said that the offering of his own body would be the supreme and better sacrifice. This is the heart of Christianity. The bloody animals of the Old Testament, what does it mean? Day after day, the bloody animals, it means, as Aaron prayed, our sins, they are many. Our sins, they are many. No, Christianity is not neat and tidy, nice and clean. We have the blood of the Lamb of God, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, slain from the foundation of the world. But I want you to notice something here. I want you to notice that not only does Jesus say he's come to do the will of the Father, but look at 5a. Look at 5a. Consequently, the author of Hebrews argues and reasons, when Christ came into the world, he said, boom! Who said 5b through verse 7? Christ. Christ. When Christ came into the world in his incarnation, that is subtle and that is massive. When Christ came into the world, he said, Father, he said, Father, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, that is not your main goal. Father, you commanded those things and you had a purpose in doing them because so much of the Old Testament points forward to Jesus Christ. But he said, Father, a body you have prepared for me. I have come to do your will. Father, you do desire sacrifice, but all of those sacrifices of old amounted to nothing because an imperfect priest did them day after day after day and consciences were never cleansed. And here's the main thing. There was no access to God. There was no true access to God. But in the new covenant, and friend, if you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, there is true access to God. There is tr- this is the death of Christ. The death of Christ on the cross gives access to God so that you can be an adopted son of God. Ladies, I'm using the biblical language. You can be an adopted son of God. The cross of Christ in the new covenant gives access to God. Jesus Christ is dying on the cross. The curtain of the temple is torn in two. The barrier is removed. Sin is dealt with. Sin is de- sin was never dealt with back then. Sin was never dealt with. Consciences were never cleansed. Access to God was never actually there. Except for one man on one day of the year. When Christ came into the world, verse 5. He said, Hey, if you're, if you're paying careful attention, and we're, we're about done here. I wonder if you noticed something. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you prepared for me. That's not what Psalm said. He's quoting Psalm 40, and he is not quoting what the Psalm said. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. You might remember he said something in the Psalm about an ear about an ear in Hebrew or in Psalm 40 verse 6 just listen to this it said my ear you have dug remember that my ear you have dug God bored out his ear this is walkie this figure of speech means that God gave David ears to hear God 
And what this represents is a part of the body that represents the whole. If God has your ear, he has you, your whole body. I love that, what he says. If God has your ear, then he has you. It's as though he's saying, you don't want a sacrifice or a meal offering. You want me. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. You don't want a sacrifice. God's not pleased with the blood of animals. God commanded it. God is not ultimately concerned with the blood of bulls and goats. He wants us. Listen, He wants you. He wants your obedience. He wants you to do His will. He wants you to sacrifice. But stop. That's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the singer of Psalm 40. Jesus Christ is the one who prayed Psalm 40. Jesus Christ's sacrifice. His obedience to the will of God. His offering. Before you say that I need to sacrifice or I need to obey God, that's true. That's true. But first of all, Jesus Christ obeyed the Father. Jesus Christ went to the cross. Jesus Christ sacrificed. And then and only then can we talk about Romans 12, offering ourselves as what? As living sacrifices. Well, what, is it, what does Psalm 40 mean? And I'm just going to read verses 8 through 10. And he interprets. This is the interpretation. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. Hebrews 10.8, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. No more animal sacrifices. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Are you perfect this morning? Are you perfect? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're perfect in Christ. And we sin daily and we are sanctified in union with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. And as our heads are bowed, I want to read a few lines of this poem that I love. Let's pray. Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away its stain. But Christ the heavenly Lamb takes all our sins away, a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. Father, we thank you for your loving, sovereign, great plan of salvation of your people. Lord Jesus, we thank you that when you came, you took the words of David upon your lips and you said, Father, sacrifices have no ultimate pleasure for you. But Father, we thank you that you are pleased with the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, your son. We thank you that it is finished. We thank you that it is complete. We thank you that we have access to God. Help us to walk in this access. Help us to enjoy this access. Help us through the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the guarantee, for the down payment, for the deposit that we have. Until your promises are sure, 
We thank you for the hope that we have through the cross and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray.